Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. A few, I was, was going to say like a few years ago or a few months ago. I don't even know when it was. Sometime between a few months ago and a few years ago, I had on Caitlin Fusco from the Happy Home Birth podcast. I was also on her podcast. She obviously, based on the name, talks about home birth on her podcast. She shares home birth stories which if you are pregnant and you are planning a natural birth, a home birth, or you're just interested in birth, pregnant or not, she shares stories and they're all different. And so you get the full realm of what birth can look like in all of its different forms. And it's for me, it was a really good way to prepare for my home birth with my seventh child whenever I found out about her podcast. So we're going to talk all things home birth. I put up a question box over on Instagram, and this is something we've been doing lately. So If you don't yet follow me, I am Farmhouse on Boone on Instagram. I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably know about the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast because of my brand Farmhouse on Boone on Instagram, on YouTube, on my blog. But I sometimes forget that there are people who just find this podcast within Spotify or the podcast Apple app. And I forget to tell you that you can't really find me anywhere by the name Simple Farmhouse Life. I go by Farmhouse on Boone. So if you don't know that, you can go follow me. There isn't a simple Farmhouse Life Instagram. There is a Farmhouse on Boone Instagram. That's where we post updates on the podcast. I post about my blog posts and my recipes or anything else going on with our family. So if you want to follow along, go there. But that's where you can give your input for the podcast. Lately, for every episode, before we record the episode, we will put up a question box and it'll say, I'm going to be chatting with so-and-so about such and such. What questions do you have? And then that's where I come up with a lot of the outline for this so I can address what it is that people actually want to hear about. So if you are interested in giving your feedback so that you can hear what it is that you want me to talk about, that's a really direct way to do it. We basically pull all of the questions, put them in a document, and then I have some things to go off of whenever I'm chatting with my guest. So with that being said, we put up a question box about home birth. And I got a whole bunch of questions. And so that's what Caitlin and I are going to address and talk about today. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you on, Caitlin, to talk about all things home birth. Before we get started, let's start with introductions for those who don't know you or don't know about your podcast and what else you offer to people who are considering a home birth. You can go ahead and share a little bit about yourself. And then we have a whole bunch of questions from Instagram that I think we can dive in because that'll basically cover like everything. They had some good ones. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I am so excited to be here. Always excited to talk with you. And For those of you who don't know me, my name is Caitlin Fusco. I am the host of the Happy Home Birth Podcast, and the goal there is to provide support, encouragement, education in all things home birth and motherhood. Uh, That that podcast started back in January of 2019. I can't believe it's been that long, but yeah, that's that's my big goal is just providing that education, providing the support. I do offer childbirth education for home birth mothers in particular. And that is that is just my heart. Yeah, lots of good stuff there. Whenever I was like 35 plus weeks pregnant with Theo, 
I had the Happy Home Birth podcast on constantly just because that's always my cram time. Like, okay, got to get in the right mind space for, for home birth, you know, like hearing all the stories and normal birth and just preparing my mind with positive stories is my best preparation for home birth, especially now at this point, because I feel like I already, after having seven kids and six of them being like completely natural, I feel like at this point, I kind of know like how the whole thing flows. And obviously you can get thrown with certain details, but like for the most part, I know what to expect. I just need to get my mind on natural, normal birth. So very helpful for that. Get your game face on. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. So we can just start by talking about preparing for a home birth and like considering if it even is for you. I don't really see, I have all these questions from Instagram. I don't know if I see this one on here, but one of my first questions that I get asked a lot, so I would be surprised if it wasn't on here somewhere. Do you feel, or what is your take on home birth for first time moms? I know that you had one. So, you know, for your first baby. So I know what your opinion is, but encourage those who say, oh yeah, that'd be great after you've had like three or four kids or when it's not your first baby. That's something I'm sure you get a lot too, right? Oh yeah. That is one of the biggest things that I hear mothers saying, you know, oh, I love that idea. I'd love to have a home birth, but I think we'll do it with baby number two. Like we just prefer to be in the hospital, see how it goes with baby number one, and then we'll try. And what I like to encourage mothers to understand is, okay, now remember when we are in the hospital setting, there are more than just the factors of going through the birthing process. We now have to contend with all of these hospital policies uh, being put on that conveyor belt, if you will. Really, everything is opposed to physiological birth from the lighting, from the smells of the hospital, wearing clothes that aren't yours. All of these things add additional blockades to our body being able to do the thing that it was created so divinely to do on its own, oftentimes with no intervention at all. So that's the first thing that I like to remind mothers is, you know, you don't have to experience that other type of birth before attempting a home birth. The second thing that we need to recognize is when it comes to safety, a lot of times people think, a home birth is automatically just not as safe as the hospital. And frankly, when it comes to statistics even, that's just not true. For uh, mothers who are low risk, which is 90% of us, and I think that it's probably even more, but statistically 90% of us, our rates of success at home versus the hospital are no different. Uh, So recognizing that oftentimes gives mothers and fathers the freedom to think, oh, okay, well, I guess we could try this for the first time. And, And one thing that I've noticed is it's very rare for a mother to have a home birth experience and then say, okay, we're going to the hospital next time. Usually what happens is someone will have a hospital birth and say, you know what? I think that next time we're gonna try the home birth. So maybe maybe we can just go for it the first time. Yeah. One of the things that I feel like people, sometimes they're motivated to have a home birth because once they, they almost need the hospital experience to open their eyes to things. But another thing that I've noticed is with my first, I had the very stereotypical hospital experience where one thing led to another, to another. And then with my second, 
I decided I wasn't going to let that happen again. And I was going to arm myself with information. I read INMA. I read different childbirth uh, methods. And I wasn't going to let it happen again. But I didn't switch providers. And even though I was really armed with information and I knew exactly what I wanted, I knew the reasons I wanted it. Once we got to a certain stage and the baby didn't pass the non-stress test and had to go in for an induction, I realized that it wasn't just the me knowing what I wanted. It was more like the provider. Because when your provider isn't on the same page and basically you are, you're trusting them with the safety of yourself and your baby, and you're at a certain point where it's like, okay, you could say no to me, but you're putting your baby at risk. You want a provider that is giving you the actual true facts on the risks. So that way, whenever they say, okay, we need to do this thing, it's like, you're sure that that's actually true. Because I'm still not sure to this day, and I'm, I'm pretty sure based on the fact that I've had five after her, nobody did a stress, we never did a non-stress test. We never, you know, tested their weight to see if they had IUGR. I'm pretty sure it doesn't make sense that that child would have had that. But even though I knew what I wanted with that, I I felt very scared. I didn't feel that I could tell the doctor, no, we're not going to do that. So of course we went through with it. And so the very next birth, I sought out a midwife and had very different experiences. So I guess speak to that. Why not just have a natural birth in a hospital with a regular OB? Like where can that go wrong? Man, Lisa, you just touched on some things that are just so important for us to understand, whether we choose to give birth at home or in the hospital. And what you were saying is, you know, it took you learning. It took you taking on responsibility and saying, you know what, actually, I, I appreciate you, obstetrician, for all of the information that you have. But as the mother of this child, I'm going to do my own research and I'm going to do what I feel is best for this baby. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not listening to the information that they provide us. But when we come into the birthing process with our own understanding of physiological birth, with our own understanding of what is important to us, with our own foundational preparedness, not just the idea of, oh, well, I know how to cope with birth. That, that's what I hear so much. And I feel like that's what childbirth education in a lot of ways has turned into is this idea of surface level, well, I know how to avoid pain. It is so much deeper than that. This is a transformation. Birth, whether we do it at home, in the hospital, on a bus, I don't care. It's a rite of passage. And so if we want to honor that, it takes preparation beforehand. It takes us deciding what's important to us so that we can then go to our care provider with knowledge. We're not expecting them to provide us the information. We already have the information. We already know what we want. And so then we can talk to them and say, hey, actually, this is the kind of care that I'm looking for. Is this what you provide? So that we're not getting blindsided nine months in when the OB is like, oh, actually, I do have to give you a cervical check at, you know, 36 weeks. And, uh, you know, all of these interventions, we know beforehand what's important to us. Does that, does that answer that question? Yeah, it does. For me, something that I, I realized with her was that I had all the information, I had all the motivation 
but I didn't feel like I needed to seek out a midwife that aligned with it. I thought, oh, if I just know this myself, whenever I come up against something, I'm just going to say no. But turns out you want somebody behind that giving you their blessing, like or at least in my experience with my last five kids that were all born at home, I have had midwives who, whenever we come up against something like, well, maybe the baby's growth isn't, you know, what we would want it to be or something that has actually has not happened since that second child, but they would like provide solutions throughout the pregnancy and maybe foresee that coming. And we'd talk about positioning and nutrition and not just suddenly I'm blindsided with the decision that I need to induce right now. I needed somebody behind me telling me like, it's okay. We can, we can give this a couple more days and see this isn't like an urgent emergency right now, but without, with knowing all of the things that I knew, but yet not having a provider to stand behind it. I really felt like as soon as something went wrong, I just had to be like, okay, <laughs> we're in it now, you know? Mm, yes. Yeah. And that advocacy piece can be so beneficial. I mean, that's, that's the thing about midwives is having this, this figure who has kind of been before us, who understands physiological childbirth, not just surgery, you know, and not just pathology of childbirth, but the actual process of what is normal. And so when we are, when we have selected a care provider that we feel confident in and we have good rapport with, we can decide what's best for us without the fear tactics of, oh, well, if you don't listen to me, then, you know, everybody's going to die. Like, you know, it's not this, it's not that stark harshness, there is back and forth and and a providing of education, a providing of information and seeing what is most appropriate for mother and baby. Yeah. As opposed to just, well, this just makes the most sense for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I found. I found that I was very blindsided by a problem and there wasn't really any other solution. And so all the other education I'd done at that point was kind of like, well, that's great, but we need to get this baby out right now. And so I think that the provider that we choose and and research backs this up uh, when we're looking at trauma um, that mothers experience in childbirth, the biggest determining factor was care provider. That's really important to understand so that we know. And this, I mean, a lot of times we get in this belief of, oh, well, if I hire a midwife, then I won't experience any of these things. And that's not necessarily true either. We're all humans. So we need to be sure that who we are hiring is vetted and someone that we are comfortable with. But the overall thing that we need to recognize is that our care provider does matter. And there is a lot of weight to that. Yeah. And I will agree that I have definitely interacted with midwives who didn't believe the same things about birth I thought they would just because they were a midwife. I've experienced that. I've seen it. And so, yeah, I know that that's not the only question to ask. I want to take a break from this episode to tell you about a sponsor, Tubes & Co. Organic Skincare. I have loved Tubes & Co. for I don't even know how long now. <laughs> they use high-quality ingredients like grass-fed tallow, all winter long, I have been putting that stuff on my face three or four times a day. I just leave the little jar sitting out so that I can go back over and put it on my face again because I really struggle with dry skin in the winter. And natural moisturizers a lot of times don't have ingredients that absorb into the skin. Usually they're very oily, they sit on top of the skin. I really struggle with that. Tallow does. 
and they focus on those types of high quality ingredients throughout all of their products. So I'm also a huge fan of the makeup. Currently, I have on the Tubes & Co. foundation, their little eyebrow thing I just started getting into. It is the best. It has a brush on one side and then a little pencil on the other. Their mascara. I haven't tried anything that I didn't like. I've been referring family and friends. And then of course, my listeners, it just so happens they sponsor this show, but I am all in sold on Tubes & Co. products for sure. I will be a lifelong customer. I've always wanted a high quality makeup and skincare source, everything from the face wash to the moisturizers to the makeup. And it's just really hard to find. Tubes & Co. is a family company. They're made right here in the USA. All the things I love supporting. They are offering Simple Farmhouse Life listeners 10% off your order with the code FARMHOUSE. So you can go over to tubesandco.com and use the code FARMHOUSE to try out some beautiful skincare products that I know you're going to love. When it comes to home birth, a lot of questions were about preparing for home birth, such as how much space do you need realistically for a home birth? I think some people think they can't because of where they live. Mm -hmm. I have had several people on the podcast who gave birth in an RV. Oh. <laughs> you know? so, so space is really not a determining factor. Honestly, think about a hospital room. It's not like a hospital room is that big. Your house is probably bigger. So that is not an issue. Now, do you want a birth pool set up or a full-size birth pool? Whatever the case may be, maybe your space will be dependent on that if you really are working with a tight amount of space. But to give birth at home, it's not like you're taking up that much space. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree. I was going to ask you earlier, whenever we were talking about somebody choosing a home birth for their first time, first baby, what are some potential things to be aware of, like as far as the way the birth might unfold that is unique to a first time mother that you've witnessed a lot? Yeah. Now, the thing about birth is it's wild and we never know how it's going to go, right? But mm -hmm. sometimes, and, and typically we can say, usually a first time birth is it's probably going to be a little longer than your second birth. Uh, our body has never done this before. So it's figuring out how to, the baby is figuring out how to traverse your pelvis, how to open things up and move things around. So recognizing that this first time around, it, it could be a little bit longer. And so preparing for that, because honestly, the greatest need for transport for mothers giving birth at home, uh, especially those first-time mothers, is exhaustion, maternal exhaustion. And that comes from sometimes the longer labors. And so if we know, okay, this could go on for a while, then that automatic excitement that comes when those first contractions arrive, sometimes we can get really excited and be like, oh, here it is. And we're standing up and moving around with those early contractions. Whereas in reality, we probably could be lying down and trying to sleep, trying to rest as much as we possibly can until we absolutely cannot ignore what's going on. Doing the things that we can do to provide ourselves with energy. So whereas in the hospital, obviously, a lot of hospitals don't allow you to, to eat or drink. It's like ice chips or nothing. At home, we have the ability to 
eat if we want to, to drink calories, absolutely by all means, to snack throughout so that we are not totally depleted of energy and nutrients as we are doing the most intense and impressive work of our entire lives. So that's something that's really important for first-time mothers to recognize about giving birth at home. Yeah, that's good advice. I feel like with a future baby, is that something that you would recommend different? Like with my seventh child, for example, my strategy is like during those early contractions to stay up as much as possible. So I keep them coming. But maybe with a first timer, you could do that and then just wear yourself out. Are they just not as effective each contraction in dilating? Or what's the reasoning behind such more like a stalled out labor? Oh, that's I mean, there could be so many factors. But the the main thing to understand is and yes, obviously, maybe for some people, being active is helpful. But we need to remember that rest piece as well. So if let's say that early labor comes on, the this is really this preparatory and separation, we call it the separation phase. This is where we're kind of separating ourselves from everyday life. But let's say these, these uh, contractions come on in the morning. Okay, well, we can still go about our daily life as we're experiencing these with an emphasis on rest if we realize that, okay, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired here. But a lot of times, labor likes to come on at night, right? It's dark. Melatonin has a lot to do with oxytocin. Uh, they, they really work synergistically. And so when the lights go low, sometimes our labor can start to get more active. And that is when a lot of times mothers will find themselves getting up and moving around and, oh, I'm in labor. And that is when it's like, this would be a really, really good time to go get some rest because we don't know if this is going to be three hours or three days. So having that in mind can be so helpful. And so that would be in the realm of normal, right? To have contractions carrying on for three plus days for a first time mom. I mean, I I, I remember with my first, it, it being like that. And one thing too, if you're a first time mom or not, haven't had your baby yet, and you're wanting to have a natural birth with your first child, most of that is not intense, right? For most people, from my experience, and that could be, you know, obviously my, my experience could be different, but like those contractions aren't, they can go on for a really long time, but not the kind they're going to make you have to fully relax through and right? Do you know people who do like labor like that for three days? I mean, the the issue, especially with this first time around is we don't know what what to expect. We have nothing to compare this to. Right. And so <laughs> when we're experiencing yeah. the, the, these contractions, it's like, oh boy, here it is. And we're starting to sway and move and do all of the things. And, and that may be helpful, but then we may get a little bit later on and be like, oh... <laughs> This is the thing. Like this Yeah, I guess is, that's true. You know? Yeah. So that's hard. And with my first birthing experience, so I had my first contractions starting at like 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. And admittedly, mm -hmm. they were pretty intense. Like they were pretty really? intense contractions. Mm -hmm. For so my early labor, it it didn't vary that much from active labor. There was a shift. Really? There was a clear shift, but it was intense. It was more of the fact that my baby was still trying to get her head into my pelvis. Okay. And so all of those contractions were doing something different than once she was actually engaged. You know, they were trying to help her maneuver herself into my pelvis. Mm -hmm. Once she got in my pelvis, she was out 
quick. Okay. But so that's the thing is sometimes these contractions are doing different things. Maybe they're helping baby get into that correct position before, you know, these these pushing down contractions begin. Right. Yeah. So with that and with knowing that labor can go on and on, it can start intense with a first timer or even somebody who just hasn't had a home birth. What are some of your tips? Of course, this is probably the most common question you get for pain management positions to actually get through this. Because we've heard, you know, birth is chaotic. It's crazy. It's the most painful thing you could ever experience. How should someone approach getting through that if they could potentially be looking at days of labor? So I think that so much of this comes back to preparing beforehand, obviously, but this is a mindset situation. Our mindset, how we are viewing this experience is paramount. If we are feeling overwhelmed, if we're feeling kind of taken over and washed away in this experience, it can feel really stressful. But if we step into this with a really positive mindset and we've been preparing in such a way that, uh, you know, we feel ready for this birthing experience, there's a sense of excitement even over what's going to happen. And we can be present in every single moment. I think that that is what matters more than anything else, being able to relax into our bodies and allow our self to experience the fullness of the birthing process. Uh, so for example, uh, I like to think about the idea of, let's say a contraction is coming on. When we feel stressed out and, and nervous and scared, what happens? We automatically brace, we tense up, we tighten. And yet our body is asking us to open and to expand. Our uterus is the, the, the thing that's doing the work. If we can allow the rest of us to relax and allow our body to just do the thing that it was designed to do, we're going to get so much further. And allowing that to happen, that is the mindset piece. Being willing to sit and experience the wave for what it is, that's what we can be preparing for beforehand. So I definitely, you know, everyone always says relaxation. Relaxation is the answer. And and it is, I agree. But also being able to be present in that moment is huge. And it changes the whole experience from this is happening to me to this is happening for me and I'm doing this and I am co-creating. I am bringing a life into the world. Uh, it it changes the experience into something so, so powerful and courageous. Okay. So at what point do you try to slip into that mindset? Because I feel like my strategy has always been to ignore that it's happening and it's been a very effective strategy. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, that's like the exact opposite. Like I, I tried it until maybe like the last couple hours where it's just impossible to, you know, then you, you go inward and there's just nothing else you can do except for be there because there's not, you know, you can't go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And before escape, that, yeah. it's like, I, yeah, you can't escape. I ignore it like a hundred percent. Like I don't tell anybody. I don't even tell my husband. I'm just going about my day, like fully aware that it's happening, but like, we're not going to talk about it until we absolutely have to. <laughs> and that's totally cool. You can still be present with your body and allowing things to happen 
in those moments. I mean, you know, if you're going about your day and making your sourdough bread, like, are you tensing up while you're doing it? Or are you still allowing your body to relax as this is happening? Really, this is more towards that active labor or liminality phase, which you're talking about, where we kind of like, sometimes even go outside of ourselves or go deeply internal. That's when we're allowing our body to change and transform and make all of the shifts that it needs to make while we are just open and willing to relax and release. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree with that. I, for me, the, er- the early parts of labor, I'm better able to relax by ignoring it. And then there's definitely this shift yeah. where that's no longer the strategy. And you can kind of tell when it's happening. I mean, definitely it's been easier the more kids I've had to recognize all of these phases. So what are your recommendations for educating yourself on the process so that no part of it surprises you? Even if you're a first timer, you know, you said you had labor for, I forget how long, I remember listening to your first birth story, but it ended up being, I think at some point, pretty exhausting because you maybe expected it to go a little bit different than it did, or maybe, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) something like that. (laughs) Yeah, my first labor, so it started on a Thursday night and then I had her Saturday morning at like 2.30 okay. yeah. in the morning. So and they started good... hot and heavy on Thursday night. They did. Yeah, they were pretty They were pretty intense the whole way through. And you know what's interesting is I did the birth classes. Like I did the childbirth education. Right, right. Yeah, that's – yeah, maybe there's just like – is there just not a way to fully prepare yourself in a way? Like to an extent, you almost just have to experience I th- it? Well, I think that birth is wild. I think that understanding that birth is wild and we don't know what it's going to be like until it's here is absolutely the reality. However, I also think that there's so much more that we can be doing in terms of preparation, but it's not just learning a hypnotic release. <laughs> That's That can be really helpful, but more so, like I said, this is more of a a recognition of what this experience is. What is birth? Okay, it is a transformation, especially when we're talking about this first time, but it's the same for every other birth. It is a transformation from maiden to motherhood. This is huge. This is a, a life-altering change. And so if we can take the months of pregnancy to, number one, connect more with our intuition, to connect with our baby. We have this beautiful new life growing inside of us for these 10 months. We don't have to wait until they're on the outside and we can visually see them to begin connecting with them. Our nervous systems are synced up. And so being able to connect with this precious new life, I I just love Jesus so much. And spending that time in pregnancy connecting with my God and Savior is so important to me, connecting to my spouse. So there's all of these external factors of connection and preparation. Also, as I mentioned, the nervous system, if we can focus on healing and regulating our nervous system, so many of us are in constant states of fight or flight. And if we're going into labor in naturally in fight or flight. It's just an added barrier. So there are all of these other aspects of preparation that aren't just learn this hypnosis technique and this will get you through labor. There's all of this preparation we can do that, yes, supports the birthing process, but also supports that transformation into motherhood, whether it's your first or your 15th. (laughs) Yeah. 
All right, I want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about a sponsor for today's episode, Azure Standard. I first learned about Azure Standard probably over a decade ago when I first started getting into real food. I was seeking out sources for wheat berries in bulk. Like I wanted a 50 pound bag because I had my own grain mill and I wanted to make my own bread, honey by the gallon, all kinds of dairy products like organic grass-fed butter, things that I was not able to find locally or if I could, they weren't in bulk. I wanted a better option so that I could be obviously more economical to purchase these things in large quantities and then to stock my pantry well. That's something I'm very passionate about is keeping the staples stocked so that no matter what, if there's a big snowstorm or anything, I'm able to have what I need to at least make a lot of basic things and through all of my years of learning how to do a lot of these types of homestead, homemade things, I'm able to take those staples. Anyways, the company that I found was Azure Standard. And what I like so much about Azure Standard is it works like a co-op. So there are drops all over the country where several people get together so that they can get a large truckload for a lower price by combining the shipping, combining the purchase. We have a local drop that is about 30 minutes from us in either direction. There's several actually drops that I could be a part of. And once a month, I place my order for, by now I actually do animal feed, I do organic raw cheese, a huge block of it. They don't just have bulk. If you're a small family, you're not ready to really stock up. What I like so much is they have quality. So you can find your organic sour cream, organic cream cheese, any of those specialty ingredients that you don't really want to go to Whole Foods for because it's really expensive. I can find it as your standard and I have been utilizing that for many years. Azure Standard is offering Simple Farmhouse Life listeners a 10% off your first order coupon. So you can go to azurestandard.com and use the code SPRINGHOMESTEAD10 to get in on that discount. Make sure when you go onto the Azure Standard website, on the front page, check out the seasonal produce. A lot of times, they will have a large amount of whatever is currently in season for a really low price. So if you're looking for some bargain shopping or just something that's really fresh straight from a great source, make sure to check out the seasonal produce. And then if you're like me, you're going to come up with some staples that you get over and over again, that it's very automatic. Just add this to the cart. Again, azurestandard.com. Use the code SPRINGHOMESTEAD10. Again, thank you so much to Azure Standard for being a continued supporter of Simple Farmhouse Life and a great company to source your food from. Okay, we had a few questions about just midwives and choosing a midwife. So I'll address a few of those. So one is how hands... I feel, I'm just going to ask these all at once because I feel like they're they kind of go together. How hands-off should a midwife be? What questions do you ask? And then the last question was, is it normal for a midwife to sleep during an overnight labor? Which I feel like kind of goes in with the how hands-off should they be? (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So the question, how hands-off should a midwife be, is really the question is, well, how hands-off do you want your midwife to be? Mm -hmm. Do you want a midwife? (laughs) Yeah, I mean the that's why and and this goes directly into this second question of what question should I be asking to find out if this is the right midwife for me? Well, first you need to decide what's important to you. 
Do you want your midwife to not touch you at all? That's who I am. Like, I want a midwife Mm -hmm. who is going to just sit and watch me and be like, you go, girl, in her head. I don't even want any noise. But (laughs) but I (laughs) – you know, just emotionally there. And there should a situation arise when I need her. But I don't need anybody touching me. I don't want anybody touching me. In fact, I think that that is – for I mean, that's opposite to the physiological experience of labor. Our bodies typically can just, they can do it, you know, they know how to do it if we just let them. So, but other mothers, they may not feel the same way as me. And that's okay. If you want a midwife who is going to be giving you all the tests and doing all of these things for you and in your face, talking to you and supporting you and, and who maybe is really, really strict on like, well, we do this ultrasound at this time and we do this test at that time. And, you know, if that's what you want, then you need to determine in your mind what is right for you first. That will inform you of the questions that you need to ask this care provider. Then you can decide, okay, is this is this midwife right for me versus you know, is this midwife right for my best friend? It may be the same midwife and we may want something totally different. Um so that's really important. And then in terms of your midwife sleeping through labor or through through the night with your labor, you know, there's so much to unpack there because is it early labor? Is your midwife there and you're in early labor? Well, we want our midwives to be rested. A lot of times people think, well, I'm going to hire a midwife. And so then I don't need anything else. I don't need a doula. I don't need any other support. I've just got my midwife. She's going to be my person. Your midwife is really your protection, your, your protection of your body and your baby. She's there to watch your body, and your baby. So do we want a sleep-deprived person making those kinds of decisions, or do we want somebody there who is fully alert, ready, and capable? So depending on what's going on, if you're in active labor and you're pushing and your midwife is asleep, that could be a problem. <laughs> like that may not. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. But, <laughs> but if you know, you're in early labor and you're expecting her to give you counter pressure every contraction, but she needs to rest so that she's available when we're actually giving birth, you know, that's when maybe a doula would be a great option for you or having your spouse prepared in a way where he can provide that kind of support. So I hope that answers that question. That's a pretty loaded question. Um, I hope that that (laughs) answers that. I just gave them all at (laughs) once. Just give me all the midwife answers. You're right, though. I think that the question checklist that somebody asked about, that would really depend on what you're hoping for. And there are midwives who can do both people. Like there are midwives who can be really right there if you need them to be or not at all. And so sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, that can vary by the personality. But I would want to ask, just based on a lot of different birth stories I've heard, what happens if I go to this stage of pregnancy? What happens if I have this complication? You know, what course of action will you take? Will you be testing for maybe like iron levels throughout the pregnancy? Or like, are you going to help me with any nutrition stuff if I start to show signs of whatever? I like to see a lot of addressing things before they actually happen. That's really important with a midwife. And then I want to know that if we go to this abnormal situation, which a lot of times is not even abnormal, how are you going to handle it? Is it okay with you? That kind of stuff. So Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so a lot of the things that come up, it's 
it's kind of hard because they're at the end of pregnancy, right? So if I go to 42 weeks, what are you going to do? Like, what's your, is it going to be? That's what I'm saying. Yes. What, yeah. What's your protocol there? Mm-hmm. Breach baby. And you think it won't happen to you, but <laughs> yeah, but, breach was another one that was kind of popping in my mind there. Mm-hmm. And, and, but yeah, you're right. You think it won't happen. Well, but birth is wild. So I want to be prepared and I want to know that this midwife that I'm choosing is going to support me in the way that I'm seeking support. And unfortunately, the reality is that some of us have a lot of options of midwives. Some of us don't. And so being able to find someone that you can work with is critical. You're right, Lisa. There may be a midwife who is generally pretty hands-on, but if you tell her, look, I I don't want that, she's going to respect that. That's that's fantastic. I don't need I don't need to agree with you on every little thing. I just need you to respect me. Yeah. Yeah, and I I have found pretty much success with that with like, well, well, it's basically up to you a lot of the things as far as how hands-on they are. And I'm the same as you. I want my midwife there for 10 minutes and I've actually managed to achieve that a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> love it. An hour or less. I want them there at the very end, just to be sure that nothing goes wrong where the baby's coming out. And that's basically it. A lot of times we've addressed all the position things or, you know, anything that a lot of things that could come up throughout the birth or throughout the pregnancy, obviously things can happen at the very end. And so that's why I hire a midwife. But for the most part, I want it to be like, if nothing goes wrong, you can just go ahead and pack up and head out of here, you know, mm-hmm. and then yeah, drink some, some tea. After. <laughs> right. Definitely. Okay. So the next questions have to do with the spouse and the family members. So what I run into a lot is someone does a lot of research on birth. They, they decide that it makes a lot of sense in their situation to do a home birth. And then they're met with people who've done zero research, right? And they have all these opinions, even though they really don't know anything about it, which is very, very fun. So what, what are your recommendations for that for a husband or negative opinions from family members who, I mean, it's very, very rare, right? That you find somebody who's well-informed and then they, they don't, they're not, they're usually not. Usually they're just throwing out their opinions based on things they've heard. Mm -hmm. So what are your suggestions for that? I say pick your battles. So if my spouse is the one that is not feeling comfortable about this, well, that's worth working on. Like, obviously. Yes. That's that, <laughs> that yes. one. That's like the only one in this situation that really Yeah. Matters. And so <laughs> what am I going to do? And so many people have so many thoughts on how to approach this. But my desire is to always bring somebody in instead of, you know, getting angry and like, well, this is why You're we wrong. have to. It's Yeah. (laughs) I just feel like it just doesn't go as well that way. So usually I feel like many people are very receptive when they're approached in a really positive way. Hey, I understand why this feels weird to you. You are the protector of our family. You are, that's your role. And so I know that this is important to you. And, and it seems like maybe this scares you. And so let me provide you with the information that I have that shows you it's actually not scary. And a lot of times what the best way to go about this is have them go with you to meet a midwife. Have them listen. Yeah, that's what worked for my youngest sister. Yeah. She she took him with the midwife and that was like he got a lot more comfort from that. That's honestly usually 
it's almost always all somebody needs because you meet with this mm-hmm. person, you realize, oh, you're not some mountain woman that's like riding down mm-hmm. the mountain on a horse with no shoes on. Like you're, <laughs> you're a care provider. Like you, you know what you're talking yeah, about. You're a professional. Um, and they can ask all of the questions. Your midwife is used to hard questions, I promise you. So oh, yeah. have your spouse go in. Have him ask all of the questions in his mind. And then he'll be able to receive the answers that are going to provide support. So that's that's how I recommend working with that. Now, when we're talking about everybody else, I mean, the reality is, is that this is your medical information, if you want to look at it that way, it's really none of their business. It's really not their thing. This is your thing. So you can go about it two ways. Are these people that I think will understand and support me if I provide them with the education? So if I send them some links to some articles, if I send them episode 17 and episode 59 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast, are they going to be receptive and actually listen? Then great, I'll do that. If I know for a fact that it doesn't matter what I say, they are just going to be opposed, well, guess what? I don't want that in my space. I don't need that. Right. I don't need I don't need their approval to have my baby the way that I see fit. So a lot of this comes down to boundaries, which is another aspect that I think is so critical for us to be focusing on in pregnancy, not just for the birthing process, but for motherhood, because guess what? (laughs) People are going to step on your boundaries as a mother. So we're going to figure out, okay, well, this is my boundary. I'm I'm just not going to talk about this with you if you you have only negative things to say. Yeah. Yep. I completely agree with my, my youngest sister. I was telling Caitlin earlier, she is doing a home birth or she's planning a home birth um, for her first baby. And her husband was initially just based on his, I've done zero research on this. I can only go off of like, I mean, I have no siblings who have had kids. Like I'm just going off of my, you know, whatever culture has told me at this point, I know nothing. So he was initially skeptical and then he met when they met with the midwife, he realized that she was a medical professional because that's the thing. I think I have noticed that when I talk to people about it, they think that this just means that I'm just going to stay home and like a midwife is like having over your friend. Like they have they just see it as like you're doing it completely alone. You just are hoping for the best, like not prepared to address anything like if anything goes wrong you're done that is what i think <laughs> too bad where you meet with a midwife yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's you know obviously not true but it's it's uh i think that's what people think before like they think that's what a midwife is and i do feel that our culture is moving more and more in the direction of it not being weird like home birth is becoming a lot more common whenever i had my first home birth i think people thought i was more crazy than, than they do now because it's just very it's a lot more normal. I don't know mm-hmm. what the stats are, but it appears to be a lot more normal. It's definitely on the rise, especially after the pandemic or during during the pandemic. Woo! There was a big increase yeah. in home births. And it was more of those people, I feel like, that were like on the fence anyway. And then with all of the restrictions in the hospital, it was like, all right, we're just going to do it at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. That's when I think people got a little bit more skeptical too of a lot of things that before they just took for granted. I think people have had their eyes more opened in the last couple of years. So a little bit more open. Yeah. yeah. And you know, but 
back to that spouse question, what's so funny is it seems like those husbands who initially may be the most uncomfortable or uncertain about it, then they go on to have the home birth and they're the ones screaming from the mountaintops to all of their friends, you guys, you got to know about home birth. Like, are you guys having a home birth? You should look into home birth. Like I see it time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So the last set of questions that we got from Instagram, I'm really like, I'm looking through them here and thinking, okay, which ones of these should I bring up? Because they are all on (laughs) very specific conditions, issues, and concerns. And I don't know to what extent you talk about any of this kind of stuff on your podcast, but it definitely, I don't know. I've learned. Okay. So I'll just give you some examples like GBS, Rogam, vitamin K. I've learned like, oh, stay away from this stuff. I've tried over the years to talk about it a little bit. step on everybody's toes. Yeah. It's definitely like maybe a little bit nervous. (laughs) Well, then let's just say this. I I feel like when it comes to GBS, when it comes to Rogam, when it comes to vitamin K, we need to once again go back to the basics. Have you done your research? Have you looked into it? Because what I choose to do could be totally different than what you choose to do. My preferences could be different from yours. My desire for mothers is to take radical responsibility. Radical responsibility. That doesn't mean you can't get antibiotics for GBS if that's what you want to do. It means, have you looked into it and have you decided this is what's best for our family? This is the decision that we're making and I am so confident in this. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, I actually really like that response because two people can read all the same books, articles, talk with the same midwife, ask the same questions, listen to the same podcast, and come away with a different answer. But what is the same Mm -hmm. is that they both knew what they were doing. Whereas like when I went into my first birth, I did not. Like when I came out of that birth, that's what gave me the desire to read everything was because I didn't know what I was getting into. Whenever they started doing things, I just was like, wait, we do this, we do this. And I I had no clue. I, nobody told me that, you know, this was, I had my first in 2008. And so, you know, there was no podcast. There was no Instagram. Like I didn't have any of that stuff. And so believe it or not, I didn't even know what Pitocin was. Like I did not realize that I went in, in labor, they were going to do all these things to me and then, you know, give me the episiotomy. And then later on finding out that none of that was in that particular situation, looking back, none of it was necessary because I've, I replayed the birth a million times and nothing went wrong. There was no reason to do any of that. But anyways, not knowing, not even feeling like I had a say in any of those choices or that I even knew what they were doing. I was just like, oh, Pitocin, sure. (laughs) Then later on finding out what what it was. I think that's just it. Just being informed and knowing what decision you're making with confidence. And sometimes maybe it's not even with confidence, but at least knowing the ramifications either way for the decision you're making. Yeah. And and it does come back to it. We talk about informed consent a lot. And I feel like that phrase is, is thrown around a lot at this point. But we have to realize informed consent, it's not necessarily just going to come from your care provider. It's not going to come from the OB. You've got to go out and look at things on your own. You've got to find the resources. And I know that can feel overwhelming. You've got so many choices to make. But, you know, this is the start of motherhood. We have to take care yeah. of these babies. <laughs> we were we were given these children to disciple, to shepherd. And it 
it requires us making choices, however fun or not fun that may be. And so if we can just step into that role with the most confidence that we can, just look at the information and make a decision, it's going to be so much better than, you know, put our head in the sand and not looked around. And then later, like like you're mentioning, Lisa, have being looking back and being like, oh, dang, like I didn't even know that that was a thing. I had no idea. And feeling like, oh, they kind of pulled the wool over me. We want to know what's going on. Yeah. And also a reminder to people that I think whenever you do exactly what the OB tells you and you don't re- do any of your research, sometimes people think that's like the risk-free choice. Like if you just go that route, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. You don't need to do any research. I'm just going to put all my, you know, put my, just my faith in this entire thing. And there are risks to those choices too. And I know that Sometimes it feels like that's the risk-free choice. If you do exactly what the doctor tells you to do, that's the risk-free choice. That's the one that you don't really have to, you know, wrestle with the pros and the cons. And really, you're opting out, but it doesn't mean that you didn't make a choice because you still did. And we're actually having this discussion because my younger sisters are both pregnant. And just throughout the pregnancies, there's been various things that have already come up. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, they just cannot wait till they have the baby. I'm like, oh, that's not when the decision's in. <laughs> You're going to have the situation where your child falls and hits their head. Do you go to the ER or not? When you get there, do you do you do the uh, whatever the thing is they do on their brain? Do you do that? Or are, are you going to watch them? Or are you going to hope? They're just, it's not <laughs> stop with kids. Like they get a certain thing and it could be viral, but it might not be. And so the doctor prescribes antibiotics and you have to decide, am I going to do this? Am I going to make the choice to damage their gut for the next however many years? Is Does the risk outweigh the benefits here? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't end. And just doing exactly, you know, exactly like the prescribed thing doesn't mean you're not making a choice in the other direction too. Yep. Yep. We are, I think, societally, and I think we're coming out of this to some extent, but a lot of the mainstream perspective is if I just, you know, well, this doctor, they went to school for this. Like they know, they know the things. They know everything. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, no gaps. But they were taught, yeah, they were taught very specific things. They're, they're practicing from what they were taught. Do I align with everything that they were taught? I dare say I don't. So I want to make sure that the decisions that I am making align with me, <laughs> align with my husband, with our family. And you're right. It starts It starts in birth because I feel like birth is like a microcosm of the macrocosm. Birth is a very intense experience. And it's so the exact same with what we're going to be experiencing throughout motherhood. That's I mean, really, that's why it is a rite of passage. It's like, hey, look, this is what this is what motherhood is in a day. Go ahead and experience this intensity. Okay, now the rest of your life, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what this is. Uh, so, yeah. so being able to to really take ownership, take responsibility for our decisions prayerfully is how I do that. But to be able to take that ownership and then walk forth, go forth in confidence, making the best decisions that we can for our family without having our head in the sand. It's That's the best we can do. Yeah, exactly. Like the key is, like you said, not having our head in the sand. Not, I mean, it's a really nice, comforting thing to believe that, you know, if, if I just don't make any decisions, I just let them tell me what to do. 
it's nice because it's like, yeah, take all the responsibility off of me. But there is a give and take with both. That's something I've learned over the last 14, 15 years of being a mom. And what is really frustrating is that with this conversation, 100% guaranteed fact, there will be people who are hearing me say, I hate everything that has to do with conventional medicine. And what I'm actually saying <laughs> is it's it's really important for you to be informed on when you're going to use it, when you're not. Don't just blindly do everything because mm-hmm. obviously we have used it. There have been times where my decision has been this is necessary and I still stand by that. I, I knew what I was doing going in. I knew the risks. I knew the benefits. And we decided to do X, Y, Z. And I'm so incredibly thankful for modern medicine. Truthfully, I would not. It would be mm-hmm. horrible to live in a world where it did not exist, where antibiotics didn't exist, right. where hospitals where for C-sections birth didn't exist. Didn't exist. C-sections yeah. didn't exist. Seriously. Like I think of going through pregnancy, knowing that if my placenta would cover the cervix, or the cord come out first, or the baby be in like a transverse position, I would be terrified to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. I truly would. But knowing all of that, and then weighing with normal pregnancy and not intervening whenever everything's normal, I am so thankful. And I, I tell you, and I know you know this from your own podcast, that I can give this whole spiel, and that'll still be the comments which is so frustrating because <laughs> I mean it with all of my heart. Like, on, I'm not baby. just saying that as my disclaimer, you know, like, but I right. like modern medicine. I truly mean mm-hmm. that. Like I truly yeah. do. But man, if it's not removing yourself from the decision as if that's not a decision, because it is. Hopefully that mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> oh, it is. Yep. Oh, it totally makes sense. It's our decision to forego our, like to, it's our decision to give up the responsibility. The responsibility, it's really still yours, guys. Like the thing is, is this obstetrician or whoever, this care provider, this is their work day. When they are done, they are done. You will live with this experience forever. Yeah. You can't blame yeah. them for that. You, this is yeah. this is your experience. Yeah. And so who has more on the line? Like we do. So when we are making decisions and we're thinking, well, I'm just going to give it all to this OB, they'll, you know, they'll do whatever is best. They will do whatever is best for them <laughs> because, the, you know, there's a lot of liability in all of this. And also they have a very yes, specific yes. way that they, you know, that they do things. It makes sense for them to get a mom started on Pitocin and then have an epidural and then, oh, you know, if that doesn't go exactly how they planned, okay, well, let's just do the C-section. It's no skin off my back. I know how to do a C-section. But for you, that may be a birth trauma. So just recognizing that not choosing to do something, you know, just saying like, oh, well, I'm just going to go with whatever they say. You're right, Lisa, that it is still a choice. But then back to what you said about (laughs) modern Mm -hmm. medicine. Listen, there are things that if they happen to me, I am going to the hospital with, with, I'm pregnant right now with this baby. Oh, if are you? certain things arise. Yeah. Yeah. When are you do? If certain things are, uh, end Sorry. of May, I'm <laughs> okay. thinking oh, it's going to cool. be June Sorry. 1st. Okay. All That's right, just cool. my, I just feel. I'm yeah. probably, <laughs> I've never gone at like past dates before, but I think it may be that I'm more of like, I could use an extra week. <laughs> yeah, preparation. Yeah, you're just you're just hoping for it. <laughs> right. But, but yes, but, sorry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like 
if some if if A happens, then my response is I'm I would like to go to the hospital, please. That's that's my preference. So Yes. It is not we're not living in a world where it's like this thing good, this thing bad. No, let's just see how to use them effectively for ourselves and be the choice maker. Yeah. I mean, I seriously believe we're living in like the best time. Like people who don't it's a whole philosophy discussion. But I feel like people are always thinking like it's worse and worse. I'm like, do you realize we can get any food we want at any time of the year? We can go to the hospital and get life-saving care if we need, but then we can also be incredibly informed to avoid it when necessary. This is awesome, you know? Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, thank you so very much. I feel like this has been a very good discussion. And again, everybody needs to go over and find Caitlin's podcast, Happy Home Birth Podcast. I mean, you'll be sharing a birth story here again very soon. Your third, correct? Yep. This is number three. Okay. Oh, good. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Lisa. It was such a blast to talk to you again. I am always so excited to talk all things home birth. Um, so feel free to reach out, anybody. I love answering questions. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast.